Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Today's episode is an interview with John Bellow, the former president of NFL Properties from back in the uh, late 80s, uh, early 90s. So I met him back in the day. He was the guy that brought in Lud Denny. So uh, a lot of uh, history there in the great boom in football cards. And he's one of the principally responsible decision makers for that. So I thank him for that. And all of us should thank him for that. And he went on to other things. But again, thanks sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, John Bellow who had some interesting corporate experience, not just with the NFL, but we certainly focused on that. So thanks, John. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And here is the interview. You really took football from the dark ages to the modern era. That's true. Uh, We made an effort at doing that. Maybe we can shed a little light on the whole top story, which is pretty funny. My first trip at NFL, I joined there in 1979, was to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii, and then did, I think, 15 of those, which was always a welcome respite in the middle of winter. One week turned into two sometimes, but it was fun. <laughs> well, and, you, and, and you really, you got to hang out with the players. So I got to know a lot of players. I get up early in the morning, do my run, go off to practice, hang out there all day long. They come back to the hotel. It worked out really well. My experience at the NFL was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of people. We did a lot of good stuff, particularly in the card area, which was for the NFL, not much. A lot of poorly produced cards with airbrushed trademarks for a long time. You've talked about not necessarily playing Coke off with Pepsi, but those two huge brands there to be able to go back and forth, the football cards, especially before 89 had none of that. Yeah. They had a single horse race, which wasn't much of a race. It wasn't anything. (laughs) It it, it just was go along, get along. And I feel like the industry in the interim many years now, there have been some periods where the leagues and the players association have decided to have kind of a one single licensee and they've lost having two players competing to be the best they can be, which you guys brought that in by immediately opening up the category. Everybody did better. Ops did a lot better. Even I'll give you the top story uh, chapter and verse, but really we owe a lot of the breakthrough to a guy named Dan Shedrick. Yeah, I remember Dan. I forget the first year we did ProSet, but the year before, Dan actually went to the Players Association and got a license and did score. And that was Troy Aikman's first year. I think he had the rookie card for Troy Aikman. Prior to that, Topps was the only game in town. Their card sets for football were substandard, from my perspective, not high quality. And certainly they were, not, they certainly were number not, one. They were number one. They were number one. They were the only one. And they, I'm saying that's, 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 yeah. they, 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 they were being pushed. Yeah, they just didn't think that football was that big a deal. And from my perspective, as head of NFL properties, our number one priority was to promote and enhance the game. And when I would see a trading card with Harold Harold Carmichael without his wings on his helmet or a Redskin without the Redskin logo or even the the Dallas Cowboys star that offended me. And I actually went to Tops and and tried to get them to see it our way and, and actually do the setup correctly and use our trademarks. But he, they didn't want to pay anything. They were paying the players union. Exactly. They were behaving rationally for what the rules were at that time. In comes the pioneer or the disruptor, which was me. So in 1989, Lud Denny came in and he, he was doing a 
ventricular kind of 3D card. He just wanted to get in the licensing business. He really had the desire to become a player in this business and had some money to invest. And we worked with him to create the first NFL trading card. I came up with the name ProSet, which stuck. And because we had all of the creative that was needed, we didn't go to the Players Association. We actually went to the players and got their permission. The players were, for the most part, weren't aware they had signed away their rights when they signed up as rookies to any promotion that had three or four or more players. They would get no money and the Players Association would get all the money. At that time, we were having legal issues with the NFLPA and the collective bargaining agreement. We weren't involved in that, but we engaged ourselves by actually going out to the players and paying them some money. So we came out with this card set called Pro Set, and we had a lot of different ideas that we included in the card set that I think really lit a bonfire behind the whole category because it was quality products. It was official. We did some things that nobody else did, which included announcers or anybody related to the game, referees. These are some of the things that I had recalled from my days of collecting cards. The 55 Bowman set had the umpires in it, which I loved. I had some understanding and affinity for what was going on in the trading card category because I'm a collector. And at the time, I started going back to collect on behalf of the NFL a lot of the trading cards that had been done prior to that, the 1950 Bowman sets, the the smaller ones, and then the, 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 the longer ones, which kind of paralleled what they were doing in baseball. Did you approach Ludd to be the official card or did he approach you? He came in and contractually uh, stipulated in some way. It wasn't just a handshake, was it? We were a licensing organization and there was some issue as to whether or not we could actually get in the business and have a business that we could in fact run that involved all aspects of production and distribution and other things. We didn't necessarily want to do that. So Ludd had an interest in doing something, so we proposed this. I wrote the marketing plan for him, and he went out and raised the money and actually built his printing press around our card program and actually put together the sales organization. We actually did all the work. We helped him set up a company, and we did all the creative, and he paid us a substantial royalty. So we made a ton of money for the NFL based on that. We just lit up the category, and that kind of broke through licensing a number of people, different companies that came in. Lud came to you and said, I've got to get something to license. He was looking around for something to license, wanted to be in the business. So we actually set him up and put him in business, and he paid us a royalty. And We didn't have to do the back end of the operation side of the business. So that worked out real well. If you're paying attention to what's going on with Fanatics, how is what Fanatics doing now in disrupting the category and taking over similar to a groundbreaking collaborative approach that you guys did 30 years ago. Are they trying to follow your playbook? My understanding is that Fanatics just bought Tops. Not just that. They acquired all the licenses going forward and then Tops had nothing. (laughs) And so then they acquired Tops, but basically they have a deal with the NFL uh, PA where they have an equity stake. From an interest standpoint and historical perspective, how we evolved the category, I think it all boils down to money. NFL Properties, as it used to exist as a centralized licensing company for the NFL, no longer exists. That came apart in 2002, 2003 after I left, primarily because owners wanted their licensing rights back. After we broke open the category and started signing licenses with different folks and there was competition, and and what the competition did is really upgrade the quality of the cards and the innovation and the creativity. And it made more money for everybody. So ultimately, Tops had to do something. And I knew Cyberger, 
I remember seeing him at Yankee Stadium and he, he smiled at me knowingly that we had done something that smart tops. And he suggested that I ha- have a conversation with Arthur Shorn, who was the owner of Tops at, at the time. So Arthur comes in with maybe two or three lawyers. I'm there with John Flood in my office. And he very seriously said, see if we can't do a deal. And he offered up a royalty, which was a small royalty. And I said, what's the Players Association? What are they getting? And well, they're getting 7.5%. And I said, I want 7.5%. <laughs> we signed a deal. His card set quality was uh, uplifted. And I think he was back in the game and he recognized that what we had done in the category had really expanded the interest in what was going on in football trading cards. And I was happy to see that the logos and trademarks were used. We had a deal. And as life went on, it was 1990. Then we came out with the pro line set with signed cards and doing life histories of the different players and getting people like Muhammad Ali and Milton Berle involved in the game and Don Mattingly. These are people we happen to know. And it all worked out really well, created a lot of excitement. We went out and got all the players to sign cards and people could open packs and get an actual signed autograph card. So the innovation just really exploded the business. I think what happened, obviously, all of the speculators bought more than they needed to buy. They buy a case to sell and buy a case to keep. Ultimately, the market was glutted and it tanked. Are you saying, to my knowledge of negotiations over the years, the Players Association and the properties in every sport have been in lockstep that whatever the players are getting, the properties or the leagues would want exactly the same percentage. Was that the first instance of that or had that already been precedent? During my tenure of properties, we did nothing with the players until we got in the trading card business. And then we started signing players. I remember visiting Emmett Smith because I thought if we could get all the quality players, quarterbacks, it's sort of quarterback club, the quarterback club. That was a good example of that. We, we could put um, some pressure on the players association, which we did. And ultimately we signed up a ton of players. I left in 93. So I don't know what happened beyond that. Ludd got crazy and he went out and signed licenses for soccer and whatever. One of the other things we did players wives. I remember getting Franco Harris holding my son. We did that card and I happened to be on a bike ride in, in Iowa and some kid came up to me and showed me his cards, and there was my son with Franco Harris. So we had a great time, and we excited the category by doing a lot of creative and innovative things. And it really achieved our objective of promoting and enhancing the game in a way that Tops never would have done or other okay. card manufacturers would have done. I agree. I'm just wondering, when you were in the driver's seat there, yeah. to what extent did you have conversations with the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NHL, these other major sports who are observing the groundbreaking progress that football was making in this new approach to expanding the category. I say this with humility. We were the lead dog. Never had any conversations with any of them about anything. I knew Rick White fairly well. Their structure was a whole lot different than ours. They got a much less piece of the pie and couldn't do the kinds of things that we had. What NFL properties had because of our licensing arrangement with the clubs is that we had control of all the trademarks. And that wasn't true in any other sport. And that worked out really well, not only from a trading card perspective, but with a complete licensing program. It enabled us to do special things, um, go off and be really creative. Everybody shared equally. Jerry Jones didn't love that because a high percentage of the merchandise sold was Cowboys, primarily because the league gave the Cowboys more exposure with late afternoon games 
and on Monday night. Then the Raiders thought they were the number one dog and they had an issue with the equal sharing. But that worked out really well and ultimately met its demise as new owners came in and wanted to control their own trademarks. There's still a centralized licensing program, but it's not the same thing as it was. I had a great time. It was fun. We did a lot from an archival stand on football, which was good, not only with, with trading cards, but with Hartman statues and other things that were all collectibles back in the day. And I don't think the NFL truly appreciated what they had, but then no one did. Uh, and then they recognized what was really going on. And that really gave rise, I think, to the whole collectibles marketing. 